What's up, guys? Welcome to episode 167 of the Midwest Angler Podcast. As always, Scott Sturman, Matt Deitch. What's going on, dude? Uh, just enjoying, enjoying my time. Enjoying your time. Yep, we're getting closer and closer to summer break, so... It's under thirty days of. Is it really of, of with kids in school and everything? Us teachers with state championship runs and snow days and stuff slacker. like that. We got to go to June second. So you're nothing but a slacker. I know. You know when my I go. To, time you know when everybody, I go to. Everybody always is like excited during snow days, and I'm always just like, no, it cuts <laughs> into my fishing time. Well, I'm I'm going all the way till retirement before I get a break <laughs> and. Uh, uh, <laughs> My boss, real pain in the butt, uh, he don't give us any snow days. Right. Like, come on, man. Give I'll me a stinking up. snow day. Can't make it out, Dad, uh, <laughs> or boss. <Yeah. laughs> I'm snowed in. We're yeah. coming over, I'm coming over with the snowblower. You're not know. snowed in anymore. Yeah, he's just not understanding. He just... Uh, slave driver. <laughs> Absolute slave driver. But, uh, nope, uh, we are officially uh, through the halfway part of April. Uh <laughs> Spring, <laughs> spring's going fast. Winter went fast. Uh, you know, before we know it, of, we're going to blink and it's going to be August. And it's kind of winter, second winter and slash yeah. spring. <laughs> yeah, it's, it it won't give it up. No. It won't give it up. But uh, um, we got a really cool guest on today. Uh, we got Mike Hawkins uh, with the Iowa DNR. Uh, we're going to get to him a little bit later in the show. But uh, uh, to start things off, uh, we want to talk a little bit. Last week uh, on that episode, we. Um, did a little talking about uh, um, doing some sort of a, a cleanup deal, and uh, me and Matt kind of talked it over, and what we decided was uh, we will make a Facebook post on our Facebook page. Uh, we'll pin it to the top so it'll be real easy to find, and uh, we're just going to call it the uh, the Midwest Angler Podcast Shoreline Cleanup. And uh, the object of this is uh, you're going to take a bag, a five-gallon pail, whatever, uh, go out, uh, you know, at a lake access, uh, you know, at a local river, at a local pond, uh, do a little walking around and, and find what kind of junk you can find, uh, uh, you know, that's washed up on the shoreline that uh, the slob before you decided the parking lot should be a good spot for that uh, beer can, whatever. But uh, go around and pick up what you can. Um you know, put, put in an honest, put in an honest effort. I mean, we're not going to sit and, and be like, well, that, that five gallon pail is only, you know, a quarter of the way full. Like if, if that's what was there, well, then that was what was there. But, uh, uh, we're going to, we're going to straight up go MLF on them style here. Every piece of trash counts. Every piece. That's right. <laughs> that's right. But, uh, no, just, uh, pick, pick up what trash you can find. And, uh, like I said, we will have a Facebook post, uh, go on our Facebook page and post a picture of your trash. Um, if you want to do it 25 times, go ahead and do it 25 times. You'll, we'll enter you in the in the uh, uh, drawing 25 times. De- but, 25 separate pictures of separate trash, not the right, same picture right. of the same yeah, <laughs> pile of trash. Ramrods, <laughs> like, oh, just do different <laughs> angles. Right. But uh, um, <laughs> what we're going to give away, uh, we're going to do a $100 gift card to Dakota Angler in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, for those of you in Minnesota, Wisconsin, North Dakota, Nebraska, I know what you're thinking. Well, I never get to Sioux Falls. Well, the lucky part is Dakota Angler actually has an online store. Yep. They will ship. Uh, they've, they've got a ton of stuff on their online store. Real easy to use. Uh, um, we've had, you know, Todd, the owner of Dakota Angler on before. Uh, they... Uh, they're, they're listeners of the show right over there at that bait shop. They're good guys. Uh, 
best bait shop around. Um, so uh, we we thought uh, uh, that was the best way to uh, to get uh, you know get whoever wins uh, anything they want. Uh, you get a hundred dollars to Dakota Angler. So uh, like I said, we will post that post on our Facebook page. Maybe by the time you're listening to this, it's already there. Uh, we're going to hopefully have it pinned to the top. Just upload a picture of a bag of trash, and uh, we'll call that the Midwest Angler Podcast Shoreline Cleanup. And uh, Matt, I know what you're thinking. You're going to win that gift card, and I've already decided you're not, not eligible. eligible. You're not eligible. Employees of the Midwest Angler Podcast no, you, are ineligible. Well, people that have uh, people that have that amount of hair are ineligible. <laughs> <laughs> got to have a full head. <laughs> Yeah, I got the like I tell you all the time. I got the Slate Sturman look. <laughs> that is, yeah, you and you and Slate. That's he. Uh, he he went as you for Halloween. You didn't even know <laughs> <Not> it. it. <laughs> no, but uh, no, I'm 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 excited about this. Uh, uh, so um, you know, all in collation with Earth Day. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Earth Day, four twenty two. Yep. Twenty two. Yep. Four twenty two. Twenty two. You want to know how, why I know it's four twenty two. Twenty two. Why do you know that? Grady Sturman's birthday, four twenty two. Oh man, All he right. uh, was born on Earth Day. God's gift to Earth. Little <laughs> smartass. <laughs> nope. Uh, uh, no, I think I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Uh, it'd be interesting to see. It really is because you know you see a lot of these posts online about people talking about the trash laying around, but nobody actually picks it up. They complain about the trash, but nobody actually the truth. picks it up. So. I mean, I know our river right here in town every year, I mean, multiple times you get stuff washed up early in the year. But then, like you said earlier, there's a lot of fishing line that's laying around on the yep. on the shores. A lot of people, you know, a lot of fellow fishermen leave a lot of empty lure packages and night crawler that was containers. One of, that was one of the like biggest that. things that pained me when I sold bait here in town was going down to the river and seeing how many of my uh night crawler styrofoam containers were were sitting there on the rocks and it's right. just like god dang it am i you know am i adding to this and yeah uh, no you're not you're, but uh, people it just, aren't it's just it's just the lazy like you said earlier the laziness of people i mean there's gonna be times where you're sitting there and all of a sudden a big gust of wind comes up and something might get blown out into the water that you can't get right you, you try right. to get it but yep i mean a lot of this stuff is just deliberate stuff where they just leave it lay there and just are like whatever right well i mean problem anymore. i mean we've literally gone down to the river here in town where it's like some dude got hammered drunk here the <laughs> night before left his beer box and left freaking 18 empty beer cans here a and, couple of burnt socks on the log that he started on fire so yep. <laughs> badass dude good fishing trip <laughs> no uh um yeah like i said it, it'll be cool um i'm looking forward to uh getting this thing uh, off and running and uh hopefully we get a bunch yeah, of pictures get, of a bunch of trash yeah get your kids out there you know get nieces and nephews get them involved and everything like that bring them along maybe you just take the family down there for a day and say you know what we're just going to do this you yep. know just to help make it look better yeah exactly so uh all right, uh, like I mentioned earlier, Mike Hawkins is on today. Um, they have uh, officially started the gill netting um, over at Okaboji. Um, we're actually talking to Mike uh, um, nearly a whole entire week before uh, this episode is going to drop. So um, when you uh, when you hear this, what might whatever Mike has to say here, um, it's 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 going to be dated by about five days uh this is when it worked for uh for mike to uh squeeze us into a schedule uh this is kind of hell week for them over there so it's <laughs> a good way to uh, put it for them when when mike said you know hey i've got some time uh uh tonight i i knew you know we got to jump on this and uh um 
yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited to hear what Mike has to say, especially, uh, you know, with this being a fishery that, uh, uh, you know, me and Matt's, you know, main, main body of water, you know, I guess you could call it our home lake, but, uh, you know, a place that's near and dear to us. Uh, we've, we've caught a lot of fish, uh, out of there and probably yep. a lot of fish that have passed through, uh, uh, Mike's supervision over yeah, there, you know, with, at, at the hatchery. So, uh, um, I don't know. We're looking forward to it. Uh, but, uh, let's, let's cut over to Mike. And our guest today on episode 167 is Mike Hawkins, uh, fisheries biologist with the Iowa DNR, and uh, more specifically, the Spirit Lake Fish Hatchery. Mike, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, we appreciate you joining the show. Uh, we know this is a crazy, crazy busy time for you, but uh, um, with the gill netting starting this week. But uh, um, let's uh, start off with a couple uh, non-fishing related questions. Uh, Mike, what was the last concert you went to? The last concert I went to, I think it was Garth Brooks and Nice. Oh, so pretty nice. recent then. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was a blast. I had not been to a Garth Brooks. I, I grew up college. Uh, my college period, Garth was huge, and I never did make it to a concert. So it was it was great. Well, that's good. Nice. Yeah, that was nice that he was in the area. I mean, he played a bunch of shows too. Oh so. yeah, I think he played until he didn't sell out. It was <laughs> right. like seven nights in a row. Yeah, it was. It was in. It was. It was crazy. And he didn't. And he didn't disappoint. He just kept going and going and going, making the next, making the next, uh, you know, concert late in the evening, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah, he's an entertainer. All right. My my question is: Scott and I are big. Uh, hot wing fans uh what what's your favorite flavor of uh, buffalo wings well i think just uh just the original the i mean original. i mean just just the uh, frank's red hot uh i mean hotter hotter the better actually Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> go straight up spicy all right oh yeah mike I, I love love uh love spicy stuff love the uh love hot sauce so well, i top out a ketchup so <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. Uh, let's get let's get talking about you a little bit. Uh, where where exactly did you grow up in the world? Well, I I grew up in eastern Iowa, so um, little town of Cascade, and uh, it's just about twenty five minutes west and southwest of Dubuque, uh, okay. there on the Mississippi River, and um, went to uh, Cascade High School, and and then actually stayed pretty close to home for for college. Went to the University of Dubuque. A uh, little Presbyterian college there in Dubuque. It's one of the three three colleges that Dubuque has. Uh, they've got uh, uh, Loras College, of course, which was a big rival of ours, mm -hmm. and Clark College. Now, did you grow up fishing on the on the Mississippi River? Then we did a little bit. Um, I, I grew up on a dairy little dairy farm, and so we didn't we didn't have a ton of time. <laughs> <laughs> there was, yeah, yeah. there wasn't, yeah. So, and we did, but we did do a lot of, a lot of small fishing trips. We spent Friday evenings, uh, most Friday evenings I can remember as a little, as a little kid at my uncle's farm pond, which when I look at it right now is very, very tiny. It's, yeah. it's, uh, probably a half acre, or maybe a little more in size. And, but we caught bullheads like crazy and we'd have, we'd have, uh, bullhead feeds down there, um, most weekends. And then, um, I had some cousins that were on the Mississippi River. They had a place at uh, a little um, little place called Wapaton, north of north of Dubuque, and that uh, uh, we did a lot of we did some fishing uh, there, a lot of skiing on the Mississippi. But we did do some fishing, caught lots of what they called uh, perch, which were actually freshwater drum, and so uh, <laughs> we 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 caught a lot of caught a lot of those uh, types of fish. And then I 
my grand my grandma and grandpa just loved to get away and and do a little bit of, of fishing um, when they got the chance on the on the farm and they lived in a house next next door and so we we'd go to Jones County Park our central park lake over in uh, jo- Jones County and the Jones County Conservation Board ran that and that was a lot of that was a lot of fun we had uh, great stories from there as a kid fishing there nice nice so um, when did you uh, come to Spirit Lake. Well, after after I graduated from the University of Dubuque, I had had a, had 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 an internship at uh, at Bellevue at the long term resource monitoring station. So I had to do an internship and got in with that crew. Um, those guys all work for the Iowa DNR. They were working under some federal funding, doing monitoring. They still do that same work over there, monitoring the Mississippi River for the um, Army Corps of Engineers and the USGS and. So I got got my feet wet literally there and and learned a little bit about uh, the work that they did, but more importantly, made some good contacts and and met some great, great folks, some good technicians, uh, biologists. And they introduced me and, and encouraged me to apply after college to uh, a position be would have been my my counterpart now who had been the man, district management biologist over at uh, Manchester, Bill Kalishek. And. And uh, I worked with uh, Bill and Mark uh, over there at that office for uh, a couple of years um, as a as a natural resources aide, making a little over six bucks an hour, and uh, just loving everything about that job. That was so much fun. We did uh, one year that uh, I was working with them. We did over two miles of trout stream improvements um, out of the office there, up on the on the Little Turkey River, and a couple other other places. And uh, that was that was a that was a that was fun, and I learned what fisheries was all about. We did a little bit of lake sampling, but most of what we did over there was river river type stuff. And then uh, went to work for the Rivers and Streams research biologist, um, who's a, a good friend now, Gary Sigworth, at the time. And uh, we I got to do a bunch of radio telemetry work. Uh, I was out three days a week on the Wapsipinicon River tracking game fish, uh, looking at their habitat use and and where they were, seasonal migration, seasonal movement work. And uh, then also traveled around the state when we weren't doing that work. We were traveling around the state doing habitat and fisheries inventories on Iowa's rivers and streams. So that led to, you know, getting a full-time job, my first full-time job as a research technician up here in Spirit Lake, working for Joe Larshide, who's now our fisheries chief for the state of Iowa. And um, I learned a, a ton from Joe. Joe's a great uh, biometrician and and uh, knows his knows his statistics. He he knew his uh, biology and it was a lot. I learned a ton of things from Joe and all the other staff up here at Spirit Lake, and also got a chance then to go to graduate school at South Dakota State and uh, studied under uh, Dave Willis as one of my advisor. And Dave's Dave's kind of uh, a world-renowned uh, fisheries guy. Uh, there's a lot of people across the across the country that can can. Uh, you know, trace their lineage back to, back to Dave Willis and some of his, some of his students and and uh, now professors across the state. So I had a great uh, great mentor there and and uh, quickly kind of worked my way up through the ranks here to research biologist and then um, took over as district biologist in 2007 and that's what I've been doing ever since. And it's uh, I feel like it's what I was meant to do. It's it's uh, that's the best I can describe the career I've got right now is. It, uh, it's a it's a good fit. Well, that's awesome. Now, I mean, I can't help but to think that if, if you're a fisheries biologist in the state of Iowa, 
I mean, it's kind of got to be the mecca to come up to the Iowa Great Lakes, isn't it? I mean, that's got to be where everyone wants to end up or, or not. Yeah, I, I don't know, man, that the workload here is it's something else. <laughs> I mean, it is, I you know, in one respect, the resources are, yeah, they're top notch. And, and not only not only the resources great, but there's also a lot of a lot of resources around us here. I cover a nine county area with with Jed, my technician, and and uh, we, you know, we've got a lot of of challenges too. You know, a lot of resources that are not not in good shape. Some fisheries that are struggling, and so that's as much fun as as working on these big resources that are, you know, kind of the kind of the crown jewel for Iowa and have you know pretty healthy diverse fisheries. So. We get to run the gamut and, uh, you know, see a lot of different types of uh, types of resources, everything from Iowa's northwest Iowa streams uh, to, uh, you know, some of the wetland marshes that we work on, or the tweener lakes, the lakes that are kind of in between a marsh and a lake, our shallow natural lakes, and then uh, these big, you know, these big natural lakes as well, and including West Okaboji, which is just this, you know, weird anomaly out here in the middle of the prairie. So, right. yeah. um, yeah, so yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I get to say that I, I manage, you know, these big lakes and, and, uh, but at the same time that comes with a lot of, a lot of work and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of partners, a lot of groups that are interested, a lot of, uh, anglers that come here, uh, a lot of questions and, and it, it, uh, definitely can get, overwhelming at times as far as uh these resources are concerned it's not a we're, we don't have a lot of a lot of people working working this uh field and so it uh it can be a lot now now i, th- I think uh i think it's worth a mention you're not out writing tickets and whatnot you're strictly uh you're strictly right. just doing uh, uh research for for fishing correct yeah and I, and i think it's important to remember i i you know uh, for listeners to remember too, the, the, the fish and wildlife, uh, trust fund in, in the state of Iowa, you know, where, where hunting and fishing and trapping dollars all go. That is a, um, that is a fund that fuels the, the fisheries bureau, the wildlife bureau, and then our law enforcement bureau as well. Now we do work out where some, some other grant dollars, some other federal funds. Um, but what keeps the lights on, what keeps our hatcheries going, what keeps us, uh, out sampling fish are those hunting and fishing dollars. And so, and though, and in Iowa, those are constitutionally protected. They can only be used for that. But no, you're right. I, I don't. Uh, we used to be deputized. We, we, okay. uh, the biologists in Iowa did have um, some authority um, to do enforcement work at one time, and we've we've kind of moved away from that. Uh, we were put on as temporary officers for for about six months out of the year. Uh, very few of us actually did a lot on our own as far as enforcement goes most of that was being able to ride with an officer a, a state conservation officer and and uh, kind of be back up um, during the hunting and, and trapping or excuse me the hunting and hunting openers like deer opener and and pheasant we we'd uh, just be another another face in the vehicle so that uh, and uh, it was a lot of fun we did a lot of a lot of good work that way we still do some of those types of things but we don't have that enforcement authority anymore and so no, we're we're strictly on the biology side. Um, our wildlife guys uh, have have a good uh, land management crews, prairie management. Uh, you know, oak savannas up here in the northwest uh, part of the uh, state, and uh, our fisheries folks have uh, research uh, management and culture sections where we we work on those those three different things. We have all three here in in uh, northwest Iowa and Spirit Lake, and then our law enforcement officers. Those are our, our game wardens and, and state conservation officers that do 
do the do the law enforcement work and um, and provide some public safety as well as as state peace officers. I would think one Fourth of July up at Okaboji, and you would say, "Nah, I'm going back to fisheries <laughs> yeah, biology." Let me just go to the lab yeah, here. I, you, you know, we've we've got two brand new conservation officers here in Dickinson County, Dan Dirks and and Blake Mills, and and they are they are wide eyed, but at the same time, they are just raring to go. So it's kind of fun to see some new blood come in, and those guys are going to do a great job for us. But uh, um, yeah, I, you know, a Fourth of July out there and. Or a, a winner's winner's game oh, uh, yeah. can, yep. get, can get pretty crazy as well. Yep. So, uh, but anymore, it seems like every weekend's you know is is uh, kind of chaos. Ain't that the truth? Now, Mike, uh, obviously, uh, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but uh, um, you guys are starting gill netting uh, this mm-hmm. week, and uh, I guess to, to start off, uh, can you paint a picture of what exactly gill netting is? Um, you know, obviously, sure. we, we've all heard of it, but but what exactly is gill netting? Well, um, I maybe start just simply with um, the need, um, you know, for uh, for our hatcheries. So we, we in Iowa, uh, our management biologists, so my counterparts around the state that uh, manage those multi-county areas, uh, we order fish in December. We we sit down and we do our stocking requests, and that and we're ordering fish that uh, we need to, to help manage the fishery, make the fishery better, make the system. Sometimes we use it for improving ecological health in the, in the lake. We use it as a, you know, biomanipulation through stocking a different species. But anyway, we, we make those orders in December. And then our hatchery section, our fish culture section, our hatchery managers here at Spirit Lake, Rathbun, um, even our trout hatcheries, uh, they they have to work to then fulfill those orders and, and fulfill the numbers of fish that we're requesting and and we request a lot so this this year uh, uh, managers across the state requested 75.3 million walleye fry um, and so the hatchery is working right now to start to fulfill that request and of course walleyes are are spawning right now this is their optimal period for spawning. And so we have crews uh, across the state, uh, Rathbun, Clear Lake, Storm Lake, and here in the Iowa Great Lakes that are going out each night and uh, setting nets to capture those broodstock, wild broodstock walleyes and muskies. Um, we're, up here, we're also collecting muskies for muskie uh, uh, culture as well. But most of, the, most of our focus is on walleyes. But we're, we're capturing those fish, bringing them into the hatchery, uh, they then process them there. Our research uh, biologist John Mirbeek and staff are also doing their their tagging work, where they're they're doing um, uh, RFID tags into a lot of these fish, looking at age and growth, and assessing the the fish's health and and overall the population's health, and then releasing those fish back into the lakes that we got them after that whole process is gone. So, to get that, um, you know, for Spirit Lake to get that seventy five point uh, three million. Uh, walleye eggs, um, they need, or excuse me, that that flat fry request, they need about 100 million uh, walleye eggs. And to do that, um, Kim needs around 1,000 uh, female walleyes um, that we need to bring bring her into the hatchery where they can then strip the eggs from them and, and fertilize them and get them up on the incubators. So the most effective way that we know in Iowa to capture those walleyes is with what's called a gill net. And a gill net, so there's two different, you know, types of uh, fisheries gear. One is one is passive and one is active. And you might think of maybe uh, 
you know, catfish, uh, you know, fishing for catfish is your passive, passive gear where you just, you let your bait sit there and you wait for the fish to come to you. Active would be you're, you're trolling out there and you're, you're moving that bait and uh, trying to catch that fish. And, and that's the same thing here. We, we can fish with an electro fisher, a boat electro fisher, where we're actually shocking fish and actively going after fish. Or we can set a passive gear like a gill net that just sits there perpendicular to the shore uh, in the evening when walleyes are their most active. And it waits, that net is waiting for a walleye to encounter it. And it's an entanglement gear. So when the walleye uh, in, encounters that real fine mesh that's kind of hanging in the water, um, they will get uh, wrapped up in it. They'll tangle up and and then uh, they'll sit there until we, we come and get them. Uh, a gill net, the ones that we use are, are 160 feet long. And then we, on Spirit Lake and East Okoboji, West Okoboji, we actually tie two of those together. So we've got a net that's 320 feet long, stretches out. It's staked at shore. The net is eight feet tall. So it's got, and it's got a, a float line along the top and a lead line, a lead core line along the bottom. And so the, a gill net basically creates this panel of mesh in the water. And any fish that's moving along the shoreline that encounters that net that's large enough so that the, the actual openings on this are pretty pretty large so we don't we don't end up catching a lot of a lot of small fish in it uh they'll pass right through but anything that's uh you, you know anything that's probably about 15 inches or so 14 inches somewhere in there and larger is uh caught by these nets and so we'll we'll set those nets we just did it uh, i just got off the water here uh, uh, about a half hour ago uh, we set them right at, at dusk. Uh, at 9 o'clock tonight, we'll head back out, and uh, we'll check those nets to see what encountered them. And we don't let the fish sit in those nets very long because the, the mortality rate on a gill net is really high. Even with cold water temperatures, uh, you know, you can we can start to kill fish pretty quickly. So we only let them set for about a two-hour period. Uh, once that two hours uh, is, is up, we'll check them, clear all the fish out, even all the bycatch. Uh, we'll count and enumerate everything, and then we'll bring all the walleyes and muskie back to the hatchery. Um, we've got stocking trucks uh, that are waiting at the boat ramps for us to get back after we clear those nets. So we turn around, we do it again at midnight. Uh, trucks pick us up at about 1 or 1.30 in the morning, and then around 2.30 after we get gear put away and dried off and back to the shop, um, we call it a night. And we just, we do that every night until we get the number of fish that we need. And uh, we've got uh, five crews, five boats that are going out on the Okabojis and Spirit um, tonight. Uh, we've got about five crews down at Los, or excuse me, at at uh, Storm Lake. Uh, about that many down at uh, Rathbun, and then also at at Clear Lake. So uh, it's an all hands on deck. We got pretty much everybody that is in fisheries in Iowa and the Fisheries Bureau is is working those nets or working in a hatchery in some capacity to try to try to finish this out. Now you've probably been, I mean, you guys probably have it down to a pretty good science on setting them out. Um, how long does it usually kind of take you guys to set a net? Well, setting is fast. So you can roll a net out of the tub pretty quickly. You just hit the boat and you stake it on shore, hit the, hit the boat in reverse and it, and it comes it's out, even though it looks like it's going to tangle and, and be a horrible mess. Uh, it actually comes out pretty, pretty nicely. Um, to run a net and actually uh, take fish out of it really depends on your catch. So these are right. these fish are all tangled up in this mesh, yep. and we use little hook blades or or knives to kind of make a couple 
you know, strategic cuts in the net because a, a cut in the net really doesn't do anything to it. It's it's uh, because it's an entanglement net. It's not like you're pulling it through the water and fish can go through the hole. Um, so the holes we don't really worry too much about, but we need to cut those fish out or pick them out of the net and get them into fresh water. And you got to move fast. We, you know, we want to be done. We want to have those nets clear in about an hour, an hour and a half. And each crew is running three of those 320 foot long nets. And there are nights though, when, you know, we had, uh, back in 2020, um, up on the north end of East Okaboji, uh, Jed and I, we had our hands full. We had over, I think we had that run around 300 females in a, wow. in a net. It was, I had never seen anything like it. We had multiple trips to the truck to dump fish off. It was, it was kind of the, the night that you're really looking for, but then when you, <laughs> when you get done, you're, you're, you yeah, you're exhausted. That's uh that's a lot of, uh, a lot of fish but, uh, and then on top of that we're all the muskies so right we our boats are running fresh flow we're so we're constantly pumping water into our our big horse tanks and uh, we also have oxygen on board and we're so we're, we're fizzing oxygen into those tanks as well and we tend to see very little mortality from from this work the water temperatures are of course in the 40s and and fish can take a lot more stress than than when the water temperatures are are warmer in fact, if we if we were to try to replicate this in the summertime, you'd you'd kill almost everything in the net. So yeah. water temperature really does help us out. Um, one of the neat things is we, you know, we're tagging our research guys are tagging all of these fish, uh, putting them back into the wild. So we get capture histories. We know that these fish have been through multiple times um, to give their eggs, and uh, we we get some cool stuff on known known growth. So if you catch a, a fish one year and then catch it two years later, you know exactly how long that fish is and how much it's grown over that period. And you can put a lot of that information together and it, it really helps us. Uh, a lot of that data really helps us when it comes time to set regulations and set objectives for the population. Um, that information goes into our models and, and uh, those models then can tell us where the, where the slot, for example, needs to be to have the most, most impact and, and reach our objectives for the population. So that data is really, really important. And we don't, we don't pass up on the opportunity to collect a lot of data when we have those fish in hand. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I know you mentioned earlier that, that the goal is a thousand walleyes. How many muskies are you looking to get? Well, we don't need very many. Um, we need really, all we need is about 10 or so ripe females. So, okay. uh, on, you know, just to put it in perspective, we need, uh, our fry request, uh, for muskies. And these are, these are actually, we have fry that we raise to a fingerling size. We actually raise them up to about 12 or 13 inches. We only need to do that. We only need about a quarter of a million, um, fry. And so, uh, that's about 26 quarts. If you looked at it in volume, about 26 quarts of, of eggs, and uh, we only need about ten females to get to that to that point. So much less. Wow. Uh, we don't we don't raise nearly as many muskie in Iowa. Um, they're a, they're managed as a trophy fishery, and we're able to do that with fairly small numbers. How many how many males do you really, in all reality, need to help with the fertilization process of all these? Yeah, so uh, that's a good question. We we initially we take about uh, two hundred and fifty males. And uh, their semen's actually taken very similar to how we do the do the take the eggs, and uh, but the but the semen can actually be preserved. So they put it on a, a preservation solution, and they can store it in the refrigerator, and then bring it out when they need it when we're, when they're stripping females, um, right. taking eggs from those females. Uh, one kind of interesting fact uh, about 
you know, this process is that we use what's called a dry pan technique. So we, we dry the female walleye off, uh, get all the water off of her, uh, just a gentle, you know, toweling is all it takes. And then we, we also dry off our gloves, ring gear, and then use gentle, gentle pressure on the abdomen to express the eggs into a pan. And although there's ov- ovarian fluid there and the, those fish or those eggs look wet, there's no, there's no water there. There's no lake water uh, that touches them. And that's for a really good reason because that uh, when lake water hits that egg, um, the pore on the egg will open up to receive a sperm. And if there is no sperm, the pore actually will close within about 30 seconds or so. So there's a very, very tiny window where that egg can be fertilized. And we want to control that, of course. So in the wild, you have a female that's kind of swimming up. She comes up shallow. She comes into an area with some sand or gravel clean cobble where she wants to broadcast her eggs and you've got these males that are following along they're rubbing against her side they're trying to get her to express her eggs and the whole time they're they're expressing semen into the water and uh waiting for those eggs to be expressed and so it's it's kind of a crapshoot in the wild when fertilization occurs they're not a nest spawner they don't there's no parental care here they broadcast eggs fertilize what what can be fertilized and then the parents are gone and those eggs are left to fend on their own. Um, and so in the hatchery, we can, we control all parts of that. And uh, we, after the eggs are taken in that dry pan, there's a there, the semen is added that is mixed thoroughly. And then they add a little bit of lake water into that mix. And then that all that fertilization occurs. They give it an extra minute or so of swirling. They swirl the swirl the eggs just to make sure everything's made contact and and well mixed. And uh, then the eggs are transferred to a clay bath where the the clay actually takes some of the stickiness, uh, natural stickiness of the egg away. And uh, then the, the eggs are left to harden in a, in a just flowing water, real gentle flowing water, uh, for about four hours, where they go from being extremely fragile to swelling with water and becoming very rigid. And uh, at the, after that four-hour period, the eggs are put into the uh, incubation jars where they're gently rolled with lake water or water in, our, in the case of our new RAS system. But uh, they're rolled with water for about 18 to 20 days before they, before they hatch. Huh. No. So quite a process. And that, you know, talk about refinements through the years. You know, not only do we do a lot of uh, true, you know, research in the state of Iowa with our fisheries uh program but uh that uh those culture techniques have been refined through the through the generations and and really a lot of work's gone into just every movement that those culturists make with those eggs and and how how the timing's going they've their stopwatches running all over the place where you know everybody's everybody's making making the right moves at the right time it's kind of an orchestrated dance i'm sure the technology's come a long ways um, yep. one, of, one of the things me and Matt were kind of talking about before we gave you a call, uh, you know, people that breed cows and people that breed pigs, you know, they're going for the best genetics and whatever. Is there mm-hmm. such thing as like the best genetics in, in fish? I mean, do you, is it, you know, is it like, well, we're only going to take sperm from, you know, these wall or, you know, these male walleyes because, you know, man, they, you know, they're showing great growth and, and sure. I mean, is, is there something like that or is it as a male, we- a male? Well, we've we've talked about it a lot in the state of Iowa and, uh, you know, places like Texas and some other states have some big bass programs. Where right. The really share longer zero- program. Yeah. Yeah. They zero in on those genetics and, and they're looking for those trophy trophy genetics, those fish that grow fast. They retain that large size. Um, we we don't do that here. We've talked a lot about it. 
um, especially with our Muskie program, um, about uh, about ways to do that. We certainly have the data to be able to do those selections. Uh, I think a little bit of the um, a little bit of the fear, or the hesitancy is is you know really pulling your genetic diversity down. So if yep. if instead of getting good um, random you know, uh, mating going on, uh, in, uh, like we do, if you're, if you're constantly, constantly selecting for, for certain traits that you can really start to start to narrow down your genetic diversity. And that, that can actually cause problems into the future with disease or, you know, vulnerabilities to other things that maybe you didn't expect. And so we're very, I, I think we're, we're at a place where we certainly could do some of that, but, um, I think there's been a little hesitancy to, to kind of go, uh, go whole hog into something like that. But, uh, yeah, it, the, the other part of this is, um, uh, genetics and fish and, and, uh, working on, uh, genetics and, and different markers and being able, able to identify different stocks. Um, that has come a long ways. In fact, we're, we're uh, one of our last conferences. There was a, a, a lot of talk about using genetics, um, for identifying fish, identifying stocks, identifying traits that maybe were important for uh, survival. And so, uh, to, to be honest, the University of Northern Iowa has been doing just some tremendous work um, in fish fisheries genetics. And uh, th- that's a that's a definitely a, an up-and-coming up, uh, up thing, for sure. Cool. Now, so once uh, once these fry are, are hatched, um, how, how long are you keeping them? So some of them, uh, the majority of them are actually stocked out as as fry, so immediately. And okay. we call it sack fry, so that, that fry still has a yolk sack. They have an energy source that they can um, survive off of for a, for a small amount of time before they transition to a, to a natural diet. Uh, we stock millions of fry out into the, into the wild um, just as sack fry. Of course, they're, they're fairly inexpensive. We, didn't, we haven't invested a lot of culture time into them. Uh, we can stock very large numbers, but uh, on the other hand, survival is very low. Uh, we don't expect a lot of those fish to survive. In fact, you know, the, probably the most important factor in, in survival for walleye fry is simply, you know, the environmental conditions that occurred that year when you stocked them. So, it, you know, a lot of that is out of our, out of our hands when we, when we stock those fish out as fry. Um, we do keep some of those fish back, uh, our hatcheries do, and then they start to raise those fish on um, artificial diets and uh, use use the technology available to raise fish up to a larger size. Uh, at Spirit Lake here, they actually use a rearing lake to do that, um, a larger larger uh, rearing lake, and they, they can raise uh, walleyes up to about six to seven inches on good years um, by fall. And those fish are then used for uh, stockings as well. Now we do stocking assessments with these fish, where those fish are marked, and we understand, uh, you know, the the places where they were stocked. We understand how many, what sizes they were. As you can imagine, all of those factors play into survival. And so we've we've really honed down the the types of and sizes of fish that we stock in in different different locations. And so. Uh, for example, two-inch walleyes uh, that are taken in June that are harvested out of our rearing uh, systems in June, those fish do tremendous in our interior rivers. Um, in fact, if you catch a walleye in any of Iowa's interior rivers, it's probably from one of our hatchery stockings. Um, that that program has been tremendously successful at developing inland uh, river fisheries. 
Uh, if you stock that same fish in a lake, for example, though, it's probably not going to make it. We wouldn't see it within a couple of weeks. It'd be gone. It'd just be eaten by something. So to stock walleyes into the natural lakes, uh, the big natural lakes, we know we've got to get those fish larger. And uh, of course, they they cost more uh, to get larger, but the cost benefit analysis that you do ends up, you know, making a difference there. You if you if, you can stock a cheaper product, but none of them survive. Well, they're they're infinitely expensive. So um, that's that's the type of work that we've done. You know, through time, we continue to refine those techniques for stocking. But uh, the hatcheries will raise those fish, and and according to what is ordered, you know, in those in those December orders by our management biologists, uh, determines where you know how many of those fish they try to raise. Now, do you uh, do you sell these fish out? I mean, uh, I know like some people with private ponds can have the DNR come in and, and do some stocking, you know, for a fee. But, uh, I was reading an article the other day, uh, the South Dakota game fish and parks, uh, actually sold some muskies, I think like down to Nevada and Nevada had them for a while. And then they ended up selling them or giving them back to South Dakota. I mean, do, so, is, is there a chance that some of these could end up in a different state? Well, we, we do have, so just to back up a little bit there, uh, we do have some private hatcheries in the state of Iowa. So a private okay. pond owner that wants to stock uh, their pond, uh, either initially when it's new or renovated or wants to do a supplemental stocking, they would need to go through one of the private hatchery systems in the okay. state. Right. Okay. And uh, we, we you know, work with those folks, and, and we also advise our pond owners on on types and numbers of fish to, to stock and, and strategies there. Um, we used to have a farm pond program in the state of Iowa, and that that's gone. Um, okay. We don't we don't have it any longer, um, but we do um, still advise, and I, I spend a lot of time talking to private pond owners. The fish that we raise in our hatcheries, um, they all go to public water uh, systems, so we we don't stock any of those private waters with our with our fish that we raise today. Uh, but uh, we do do some some trading. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of wheeling and dealing that happens because uh, not every state raises every species. Um, for example, Iowa is, is very good at raising and, and culturing muskies, and they're very difficult fish to, to culture. And so uh, some other states uh, do depend on Iowa to receive a few fry every year, a few fingerlings every year to help with, with their programs. In return, um, we can get things like catfish. We can get things like... Uh, uh, yellow perch, um, you know, some of the species that we don't necessarily culture in the state of Iowa. So, or have the, have the space or capacity to, to do those other species. So, uh, we do do some trading, um, out and, you know, with, with some of the other states and it works out really well for everybody. Nice. nice. Kind of like the gold standard, the walleye standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Now I, I think we'd be, uh, doing a great disservice to the listeners if we didn't ask what's the coolest like non-target species you've ever pulled up i mean there's got to be just something wild that it's like holy smokes i was never expecting that huh that's a good one i mean we see some you do see some crazy things i mean we've you know every once in a while we'll catch a piranha you know uh really there's yeah oh yeah there's we get uh I swim in some, that lake. <laughs> yeah, we get, and I don't know that I've ever, we've ever pulled one of those out of uh, the Okabojis. Uh, usually those are, yeah, usually those are in other other spots. And of course, what what that is is somebody's illegally stocked an right, aquarium yeah. fish, and and a lot of those tropical fish, um, most of them, in fact, don't. They're not going to make it through winter, so it's it's just a, 
a matter of of setting a net and catching something that somebody just put in that in that pond or or county pit or whatever it was so we do run across some of those things um big goldfish once in a while huge you know big koi (laughs) or things like that you pull up and it's just um just amazing i i still you know i still talk and the guys are kind of sick of me hearing but i i was working with uh one of our one of our seasonal technicians this time of year and uh we were together out on west okaboji and we lost we had a we had a muskie of the muskie of all iowa muskies in our net and that fish uh was barely caught it was clear water so we're working it up we got light you know you imagine you're out in the dark on west okaboji pulling that net up and you can see out you can you know the water is really clear you can see out and you could see this giant gray body in the in the net and like is that a fence post is that is that a you know is a telephone pole the closer you got it was just enormous and she was just caught by um maybe a little bit in her in one of her teeth and then a a couple of her fins were wrapped up in the net and we tried to scoop the net under her to kind of cradle and and catch her and and she just gave a couple quick tail flips and and took off and both Paul and I just rolled over on the deck, looking up at the stars. <laughs> just we were. I mean, our hearts are pounding. Oh, that was the largest muskie, and I've seen a lot of muskies oh, I believe right, that. Oh, yeah. through the years. <laughs> that thing was enormous. I'd love to have known how big that fish was. And I, it, it is pretty amazing. There's a lot of times, uh, most of the fish, in fact, that we capture have probably been through the hatchery system. We were very. We're very efficient, especially with muskies at catching them in our gill nets. They're very vulnerable to that gear type in the spring. And, uh, but the, every once in a while, you'll get this huge female that will come through the hatchery and she's never been touched. She's not been tagged. She's, she doesn't have a fin clip where we've taken an aging structure, structure off of her. And, uh, so it's pretty neat to see those fish that were, have been elusive out there for all those years. And, uh, you know, they, they've avoided, avoided our nets. Now, a couple of years ago, you guys had a picture from there in the hatchery of a of a big muskie that I think would have shattered the state record, wasn't that right? Well, I think I don't know for weight. I think we had. Um, I'd have to go back. The numbers all run together, but uh, we've had some big girls in. Um, I don't know if we've had one that would that would that would um, go over the the record weight. But okay. um, every once in a while, we get one that's that's just a little longer, or just the same length as a state record. But you might you might be right. I, again, I the numbers start to over the years, the numbers all start to run together. And we we used to not weigh those fish when they came in. Um, you know, from a scientific purpose, they're they're all holding eggs, and so their their weight is uh, a little bit of a you know it, it's a little skewed, and so. Uh, we don't, we didn't typically for research purposes, weigh a lot of those fish, but we're starting to weigh more of them now. If, if a fish looks big and, and she's, she, you know, pretty girthy, we'll, we'll put her in the, put her on the scale just to, just to give an idea. And when we, we put it up on, they put the numbers up on the board too. It's for folks to come in and see that is, is pretty amazing. So, and I would, uh, you know, just put a, put a plug in for any, any listeners that are, you know, in the area or even, uh, close by, um, you know, our Spirit Lake facility is open finally after a couple of years of, of awesome. not being open. We opened the doors uh, on our facility from from the pandemic last year, right after the gill netting season. But typically the, the system is open. Uh, doors are open. We're open. We try to stay open extended hours uh, each day from 8 to 8. And, uh, 
you know, people could come in and see these broodstock fish that we're capturing and, and going out on the lake to get. So you get to see some of those big, big female walleyes, some of those big female uh, muskies, and then also see the operation. Um, I would, I would tell people to stop by in the morning, you know, around that eight o'clock, nine o'clock period, because that's when our hatchery crews are taking eggs out of the, out of the walleyes. And that's really fun to see. Um, and then this year, uh, you know, from that, from that fishing game trust fund and some federal aid dollars that came to the state of Iowa, uh, we went through a major uh, renovation to our incubation and uh, system in the in the hatchery here. So uh, a big, big upgrade. We went off of lake water and onto what's called a recirculation system. And so a lot of new filters and uh, UV disinfection systems and heat pumps and things that uh, Kim's going to be able to really dial in water temperatures and, you know, not have problems with fungal infections and dissolved gas issues that we get off that raw lake water. So that's a new, uh, for anybody that's ever come to the Spear Lake Fish Hatchery to, to view the operation, they're going to see a brand new um, incubation uh, system in the in the hatchery this year. So Yeah, that's and awesome. You, yeah, and it's isolated. So uh, you're going to be looking at it through win- big windows, big viewing windows. You can't go in, oh, unfortunately, okay. but we're trying to, the whole theory here is to separate lake water and, and invasive species away from our, our stocking operation. So although the raceways where all the big fish are held, that's all lake water still, the uh, place where all the eggs are fertilized and where they're, where they're incubated is all on a recirculation system. Yeah, we, growing up, that was kind of always our spring, our annual trip where we go down to the down to the hatchery and then we go over to the berkeley store and stuff like that so those two those two smells are kind of ingrained in my brain so oh yeah yep <laughs> now it's, it's fun how, how long how how long will you guys have fish in there and how long is it open to the public here so we will we'll be open for the uh, to the public for the rest of the year so um it's just a matter of what's going on in the hatchery we only spawn you know, those fish only have produce eggs once a year so this is the time they're doing it. This is the time we're taking them. So folks folks will come later in the season and be like, where did all the big fish go? Well, that, that only happens during about a two-week period in the yeah. spring. Okay. Um, the Most of the time, we're, we're done in about seven nights of netting. That's kind of our average. We can go quite a bit longer. We can go a little shorter, but um, about seven nights of netting. And then I would say there's probably about another seven days there where there's going to be some fish in the hatchery okay. to be sure. So it's a pretty small window, about two weeks, and and then the, the, we got to get them. We got to get the big fish back to the lake. They start yep. to get stressed. They start to get uh, external fungal infections. If we hold them too long, we want to get them back in and get them get them. You know, they they need to put the feed bag on too and start getting ready yep. for the opener. Okay. Now, are just musky and walleye your primary ones, or do you guys still do some northerns as well? So the northerns are earlier, yeah. So the northern and northern eggs are already up on the incubator. Um, they were able to, they were able to get uh, again a fairly small number of of uh, of northern pike, but they were able to get the numbers they needed here over the last uh, last couple of weeks. And so those eggs are actually incubating right now. They're they're uh, up on the new incubation system. So they will they will hatch off as we are uh, netting for walleye and muskie. So we'll right. have some northern pike fry that we'll be stocking out in in some lakes i've got four you know natural lakes in northwest iowa coming back online after after having some renovation work and and drawdowns done and and those lakes all get restocked with northern pike fry that's awesome uh well mike i know uh you've got a a, not only a busy night but a busy week in front of you (laughs) and uh 
um, you know, I, I think, uh, uh, we should probably let you get back to getting, sure. you probably get some food in your belly and, uh, probably sip on a couple uh, energy drinks or something like yep. that. Cause you got a long <laughs> night in, uh, ahead of you yet, but, uh, we do. Yeah. Uh, it starts the, now starts the grind and, and, uh, man, I was looking at the forecast. It looks terrible. Yeah, I was going to say, you guys like, didn't pick a good week. To... Oh, and, and we don't get to pick them, you know, that's, that's right. This is what you got. Yeah, the walleyes are that photo period or the length of day and the water temperature, you know, that's kind of what cues them to spawn. And so we just don't, you can't wait too long and and miss the spawn. So, uh, yeah, yeah I had we're, a couple, we're committed. I had a couple males spawning all over the front deck of my boat yesterday that I. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, and it's it it turns into it turns into a looks like a crabbing boat out there some nights in the wind and waves and oh I bet you guys probably that's just Matt excited to fish <laughs> yeah there's very few nights we don't go we don't pull the trigger and get on the water so it it uh, it can definitely get yeah, get uh, a little bit dicey out there, out there so. well uh, be careful stay safe and uh, for you and all the crews out there doing it but uh, uh, we appreciate you uh, joining the show and uh, there was a lot of knowledge dropped there. Yeah, lots of fun. Thanks, thanks for getting the getting that information out to everybody. It's awesome. Awesome. All right, thank you. Well, very thank much. you, Mike. You bet. And that was Mike Hawkins uh, of the Iowa DNR, and uh, uh, more specifically, the uh, Spirit Lake Fish Hatchery. Uh, um, I think it's fair to say uh, Mike and his crews are going to be some of the busiest dudes <laughs> this week. <laughs> yeah, it's and especially like we said with the weather not really cooperating it's i'm sure it was a long week right uh um you know obviously we mentioned it earlier but uh um you know i'll I'll mention it again uh you're probably sitting there looking at the weather and like ah it's not that bad we are recording this uh um you know a few days before uh um before this episode is uh releasing and uh let me take a look here uh we've got um Tuesday, uh, 63 and rainy, and then we've got uh, 43, 41, 44. And that's uh, highs. That's that, that's, that's midday the highs. highs. Um, I mean, we've got lows doing, in the 21. Right. These guys are doing it like in the evenings. Yep. That, you know, like you said, late at night. And it's supposed to be Wednesday and Thursday were windy. It's just, yeah. Yep. Uh, all, not all not exactly this. the days that it's like, ah, you know what I want to do tonight? I want to go out and in a boat. And, uh, you know, get wet. and Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. You're going to get wet. I right. bet you those guys smell like walleye and musky for, for weeks. <laughs> it's kind of like the hog farmers around here. <laughs> right. You know, you just can't get that hog smell out. Uh, they You just can't get that fishy smell out. But So uh, so it's, it's a good reminder to all of us, though, that, uh, you know, the next time you want to complain about, like, when they set regulations on lakes and slot limits and stuff like that, these guys are the professionals. These guys are the ones going out there and doing this and understand why and what the need is for. It's easy for us to all sit here and on a warm couch with our cell phones or by a computer trying to tell them what to do. But these guys are out there, you know, in the element, doing the work to but make I did- our fisheries better. But I didn't catch as much walleyes today as what I did last year <laughs> with my cousin fault. Vinny. It's all their yeah. fault, right? Dirty dogs changed that slot. And now maybe if they would fish and went to crap. Maybe instead of milking a thousand female, or you know, getting the eggs should out just of do a, a million. Thousand, yeah, catch just every do a million. Walleye. I mean, walleye fishing would be phenomenal in our lakes. Then, yeah, I want it. I want it year round. Yep, year round. <laughs> I never want them to quit stocking walleye. <laughs> why? Why? Why don't they do it more than once a year? <laughs> <laughs> I want fall. <laughs> right. Go go milk the walleyes in the fall. <laughs> That's right. 
You don't know unless you try, Matt. <laughs> have you ever have you ever tried milk in a fall walleye? I've tried to stretch them out have a little you, bit. Have you ever tried milk in a fall walleye? <laughs> I've tried. You have? Yep. All right. Well, <laughs> I guess that wasn't the answer I was expecting. But uh, I was going to say you don't know unless you try, and you haven't tried. So, nope. Uh, ignore the science. Yeah. Yeah. Ignore the science. Uh, you know. But just, really, I mean, what they do, I mean, it's it's to benefit all of us. So it is. And, you know, he, he mentioned it there, but, uh, you know, directly related off your uh, uh, hunting and fishing license dollars. And uh, I don't know, I guess, you know, don't get me wrong, you know, when South Dakota upped their uh, non-residents, you know, to $75 plus a $25 uh, habitat stamp, it's like, son of a gun, like $100. But I do have faith that that is going to better the fisheries that I will be fishing in. Yeah. And, you know, obviously for us being residents here in Iowa, the fishing license aren't very expensive. But, you know, I, I mean, I I feel we go over to Okoboji and have a lot of success, whether we it do. be smallmouth bass, whether it be largemouth bass, uh, walleye, panfish. I mean, I feel like that is a banging fishery. I feel like it's good. And uh, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like it's being properly managed. Uh, you know, I can say a, a, a lot the same, you know, for a lot of the South Dakota lakes that, that we're fishing, you know, I, I, I get it, you know, that there's certain lakes that have certain things that, uh, you know, maybe, maybe something happened that, you know, yeah, God dang it. We missed it, whatever, uh, you know, but, but, uh, you, you just don't know how much, you know, just a, a goofy Nate, Nate natural anomaly, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, there was nothing that they could do, you know, so uh, whatever. I don't know. It's, uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was pretty excited to hear him talk about, uh, you know, the renovations and, and the newer technology yeah, that, that's uh, cool. um, you know, that's, that's going on over there in Spirit Lake, uh, because our, our buddy Scott Mockentoon posted an article the other day, uh, you know, and, and I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to throw stones at, at the state of Minnesota, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the hatcheries and whatnot up there are, are old and outdated and, and they uh, need to be getting held re- together by barbed wire and bubble gum. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I, I don't know, you know, I don't know where the funds are going. I don't know if the funds aren't there. I can't tell you it's not my deal. I haven't looked that far into it, but, uh, um, you know, it, it is good to hear, uh, it's a breath of fresh air because I know that uh, a lot of these uh, uh, departments are underfunded. So it was it sure. was nice to hear uh, Mike talk about you know the good things that they have you know yeah. for a change. So um, yeah, I did like that. Um, Matt, do you have a good news story? <laughs> I saw the other day that uh, like gas prices went down like eight cents or something. Really? So. <laughs> They went. They went south a little so bit. So you can buy a gallon for under five bucks now, huh? I think. Wow. That probably was just for like a day or something, and then they probably went right back up just to get everybody like, "Oh, gas prices are going down." So that's, that's living. That's living. <laughs> so when when you get excited when you see the gas prices go down a couple cents, you get a little excited. I uh I actually filled up the Chevy Colorado uh. Uh, a couple days ago, had Grady with me, and I said, "Watch this, Grady. Here's going to go a hundred bucks." And I didn't hit a hundred. I didn't. I, uh, I think I topped out at about seventy-one. Uh, that's you know, some a little bit smaller tank in the Chevy Colorado, but uh, uh, seventy-one's high enough because it I remember when I could is. do it for about thirty-five bucks. Right. So, uh, um, you know, yeah, whatever. I guess uh, it is what it is. Uh, Yours. 
You got a good news story? My good news story, uh, uh, turkey season is off and running now. Um, I guess that'll be my good news story, I think. Uh, um, I... I'm thinking that uh, I'm thinking that I'm actually going to get out and do a little turkey hunting this year. Um, I haven't in years past. Um, I'm not going to do a ton, but I think uh, I think we might actually have a turkey hunting trip in order. Uh, I'll, I'll spill the details to you uh, about that uh, once we get off the air here. But uh, there there might be a little something brewing, so uh, maybe I'll actually shoot a turkey. I I haven't I haven't turkey hunted or or, or shot a turkey and. I don't know. Heck, it's got to be five, five years, six yeah, years, I'm or right something like you. that. But uh, um, I'd, I'd like to get back out there. I still would rather be out fishing. But uh, um, you know, sometimes you got to do something a little bit different. And yep, make uh, you appreciate the other stuff. Yep, that's right. Uh, but I still do hate ticks. Yeah, that's somebody. I was talking to somebody about that the other day, and they're just like asking about turkey hunting. I'm like, yeah. And I said the one thing that sucks though about turkey hunting is the ticks. Yeah, you see one on you, and then you feel like then Ugh. I imagine what you're like what a meth head feels like. All the time. <laughs> I think that's what like, it is. Yeah, you can't like get that feeling off of you. Like, and it wasn't even if it, you saw it crawling on your boot. Hmm. Pretty soon, all of a sudden, it's just like you get that like all of a sudden you're like kind of feeling back around by Ugh. your hairline. You're just like, wait a minute, what's that? So. It's like knowing a snake's in your house, <laughs> just not knowing where the hell it is. <laughs> I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Started on fire. Yep. So, uh, all right, guys, uh, that will be episode 167. Uh, we appreciate you guys tuning in. As always, uh, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, uh, give us a review if you're on Apple, and uh, um, get those pictures. Get, get those, those pictures, pictures of the trash. Up. Yep. Yep. Uh, the Midwest Angler Podcast Shoreline Cleanup brought to you by Matt Deitch. <laughs> Mad Dutch. So, uh, all right, guys, uh, we appreciate it. Talk to you guys later.